Hi, and welcome to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast, brought to you by the ATD New York City chapter, where we're all about helping you become a top-notch talent and development practitioner. Join us each week for exciting interviews with industry leaders, candid discussions on the latest L&D trends, and insider tips and tricks to help you succeed in this profession. Each episode of this podcast is an exploration of what it means to be a well-rounded, well-informed professional committed to unlocking the potential of millions of people in the workforce. So tune in, turn up the volume, and get ready to unlock your potential with the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Marina Field and Samantha Peller. Hey, Samantha. Hi, Marina. Welcome, everyone, to ATD Unlocked, where your favorite podcast host from ATD New York City chapter. Um, Samantha, have there ever been times where you've just, you know, been working and thinking like, wow, this is really hard or I just can't get this done or, you know, I want to quit? Uh, I'm human, so yeah. A lot. <laughs> I try to keep it positive, but there's some days you just get in that headspace. Well, I'm really glad to hear that I'm not the only one, but I'm also excited that we have our guest today, Dr. Karen Bagley, who can help us with this challenge. But before we get to Dr. Bagley, I want to share our trivia question of the day. And the question is, what is the most common type of story used in training and development? So as usual, we'll share the answer at the close of the episode. But first, let's go on ahead and introduce Dr. Karen Bagley. Dr. Bagley is a licensed clinical psychologist in Virginia and the founder of Momentum Psychology and Performance. In her clinical work, she specializes in working with people of color, those who identify as LGBTQIA+, and athletes. She also develops programming and facilitates community-based conversations related to mental and emotional well-being, and has taught courses at both the graduate and undergraduate levels. Dr. Bagley's book, Becoming a Better Storyteller, Reframing Your Narrative to Improve Your Life, is a self-reflective tool designed to help readers begin to explore their own personal narratives, including where faulty thinking may be getting in the way of the life they want to live. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bagley, or should we call you Karen? Uh, Karen is fine. Thank you so much for that introduction. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. And we do have some questions for you to kick things off. So we want to know a little bit more about what you mean by becoming a better storyteller, because we know that's kind of like your niche is using storytelling in your work. So how does one become a better storyteller? What are some tips and, and your thoughts around that? Yeah, so I think before we get into how someone becomes a better storyteller, we can maybe start by identifying what storytelling is. Um, and it really is almost kind of as simple as it sounds. It's the stories we tell ourselves, to ourselves, about ourselves, um, about other people, about the world, about it's the way we make sense of what happens um, to and around us. And it is a pretty natural process. It's something that we as humans do pretty much all the time, because like I said, it's how we understand the world, it's how we make sense of things. Um, and the thing with storytelling is that we're all, I think, pretty naturally gifted storytellers, whether we believe that or not. 
Um, it's something that we do all the time, whether we know it or not. Um, so the the key to becoming a better storyteller, I think, is first recognizing that you are telling yourself a story and then figuring out, is the story I'm telling myself accurate or not, right? Am I adding in pieces that aren't actually there? Am I subtracting pieces that if I added them in would make the story more accurate? So that's really the hallmark of becoming a better storyteller. Look at what it is you're saying and then look at the accuracies or the, or the, or the faults in that. So I understand what you're saying at a high level, but can you give us an example to just really bring it home? Yeah. So one thing might be, um, so one of the things that I do in my spare time is I write poetry and on occasion I will get up on stage and perform my poetry. So um, in terms of being a better storyteller, um, getting up on stage, I might thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And the reason I'm nervous is because all these people looking at me, they're judging me, they're going to think I'm doing a bad job. And that is a story that I'm telling myself, right? I don't know that that's an accurate story. I haven't asked any of those people in the audience what they think. But if that's the story that I'm telling myself, how might that affect my performance? Oh, it might make me more nervous. And therefore, then I'm not performing as well, right? But if the story that I'm telling myself is, oh, I'm killing it up here. Look at them smiling. Look at the way that they're responding to me then maybe that gives me more energy to perform in a different way, right? So not only do we tell ourselves these stories, but the stories that we tell ourselves can then impact how we perform, how we act, how we walk through the world. That's a really great example. Do you have another example that might of how something like that might play out in the workplace? Yeah, so one of the things that you might think about is uh, with your boss or supervisor, right? So you are kind of doing your work, you... Um, your boss asks to see you. They call a meeting with you. And if your immediate thought or one of the things that kind of goes through your head is, oh my gosh, they didn't like the slide deck that I just produced. And so um, as a result of that, maybe you're nervous, you're already telling yourself a story about how this meeting is going to go and you're negatively predicting kind of all the things that your manager might say that are going to be wrong with the slide deck that you just produced. Um, and in fact, the, the, your manager might be calling a meeting to tell you how much they enjoyed the slide deck. Maybe they want you to tweak something here or there, but on the whole, you're doing a great job. And well, I actually want you to be involved in this other thing because you did such a great job on the slide deck. But if the story that you were telling yourself is how much trouble you're going to be in or how badly you think um, your manager thinks you then you're already setting yourself up in a negative way to go into that. Thank you. That definitely clears it up. Yeah. And so my question is then, are you telling these stories to yourself internally? Are you writing these things out for yourself to change the way that you're telling a story? Are you speaking them verbally? What are kind of the best methods to change up the stories in your head to make them more um, empowering? Well, so these are stories that sometimes, oftentimes we are telling ourselves internally. Sometimes we don't even know that we're telling ourselves these stories. Um, in the field of clinical psychology, there is a, um, a school of practice called cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll, I'll try to make it like the, the hallmark of that is that we have these things called negative automatic thoughts, right? So those are the, the hallmark of the faulty self-talk that we engage in. Right. And the reason they're called negative automatic self-talks is because they're automatic. 
you know, we don't have to try to think that way. This is a way of thinking that we have developed. So one of the things about becoming a better storyteller is one, first be aware that that's the story that you're telling yourself, right? And so that can be an internal process. It could be a process that you are going through with someone else, right? So someone else might say, you know what? I noticed this pattern of thinking that you do, right? And so that person could be your best friend. That person could be a family member. That person could be your therapist, right? Or that person could be your boss, right? Depending on the, the um, relationship you have with your manager, um, they might say, you know, I noticed that every time we kind of come into a meeting together, you're responding in this kind of way. So, right, you're coming aware, maybe through a variety of different ways of these these negative automatic thoughts that you're having. And then once you gain that awareness, you can figure out, oh, how can I start to reframe that kind of thinking? So if these these thoughts are automatic and you know you might have to rely on other people to help you identify them, like how do you even know when you're in the when when there's something there's a problem? Right. And so that's where um one of the things that I use with my clients is something I call air, right? So number one, just remembering to breathe, right? When we are stressed, when we're feeling overwhelmed, um, we're all, often not breathing um, correctly, right? So we're, we're taking really shallow breaths, maybe we are hyperventilating, maybe we're holding our breath. So number one, just remembering to take good kinds of breaths. But then also looking at the acronym AIR, so the A stands for awareness. Um, and like I said, that awareness can come from you noticing that pattern either because someone has pointed that out to you um, or just sort of along the way, it's like, oh, it, you know, I just had that thought pop up and, oh, I'm having that thought pop up again, right? So that awareness kind of builds either through your own recognition or through someone pointing that out to you. And then the I is for interruption. So once you become aware of a pattern of thinking, a pattern of behaving, we have to find a good interruption Right. So if I'm noticing that I'm engaging in a lot of what we call mind reading, so I know what that person is thinking about me. I know this person is thinking about me. Once I become aware of that pattern, oh, I'm doing that mind reading thing. Let me interrupt that. Right. Um, and so one of the one of the phrases that I'll often use with my clients is, let me pause you right there. Can we look at what you just said? Right. And so that is something that you can either say to yourself. That is something that you can say to someone else if you're trying to help them work through it but it's that interruption point. And then the R is for replacement, right? Because it is much easier to stop doing something if we have something else to do, right? One of the most maybe frustrating things can be if someone's like, well, you don't wanna do that, just stop doing that. Well, if I could stop doing that, I would, right? But I need something else to be able to turn to. So then we're looking at what is my replacement behavior? If I'm not gonna engage in mind, what am I gonna do instead? Right. And so that becomes the pivot point where we can kind of look at what's the reframing I can do. So if I'm not going to sort of engage in mind reading and say, oh, I know what Marina or Samantha is thinking about me. One of the things I might do is, hey, so this felt kind of weird. Can I ask you about that? And I say that like that's an easy thing. That is very hard. Right. It takes some courage and it takes some practice to be able to do that reframing um, or do that different behavior. But that would be then the next step, right? So we're becoming aware of our um, thoughts or patterns. We're finding a good interruption point, And then we're figuring out what's our pivot and 
That's really good technique. I'm going to even start to think of that and applying it from now on moving forward. But I'm wondering, because our listeners work in the T&D space, right, in learning and development and talent development, so I know for myself, I've taught a lot of training classes where I'll have learners that get frustrated in the middle of the class and they literally just put their arms around their chest like this and they're like, I can't do this. I'm not doing this, right? And kind of stop things cold and we can't move forward with the class or with the learning until that person gets on board, right? So I would imagine that's obviously a story that this person is telling themselves that this is too challenging and they're just stuck right there. So what are your recommendations for T&D practitioners to get learners out of that headspace if, if they're finding that that's where learners are getting caught? Yeah. So, right. So one of the things is, again, kind of going back to that air, right? So one of the first things is taking a breath, right? So it could be taking a breath, but it could be what is the thing that I need to do in my body to try to calm myself down, right? Because when we're talking about like changing our thinking and like understanding these uh, thought patterns, that requires a a different level of cognition, right? And kind of processes in the brain that may not be operational when someone is in kind of this fight or flight or overwhelm um, response situation. So it's the first thing, what can I do to calm myself down? Do I need to um, take a breath? Do I need to drink some water? Do I need to get up and do some movement? So can I physically leave the class or leave whatever situation I'm in, go stand outside and get some air or um, get some sun on my face or just kind of walk away and come back, right? Because sometimes that change of scenery can be helpful. So one of the things is, what do I need to do to calm myself down in my body? And once that happens, then your parts of your brain that kind of are responsible for thinking, for judgment, for those kinds of things where we can now start to do that shift, that can come back online when we are in a calmer space, right? So kind of thinking about, can we help this person figure out what do I need to do to calm down? And then we can come back and, and talk about what is the story that I'm telling myself? What is the thing that is frustrating me that's getting in the way? I love that. And, and you know, I've actually used a strategy like that without even realizing it where yeah. if we have a break, I'll pull the learner aside and just kind of talk to them, maybe tell them to go outside, take a little break for themselves, get some coffee, kind of cool down. And so I was probably using that technique without even Yeah, without it. even knowing it. You were doing the exact right thing. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So hopefully our listeners will take that away as well when when dealing with challenging situations in, in their work and their spaces that they're practicing in. That's really helpful because I was trying to, as you were talking, I was trying to figure out, well, how would I uh, talk to this person in the middle of the training if I've got 20 people and just one person who might be, you know, telling themselves, telling themselves the wrong story, how would I address that? So the idea of leveraging a break to actually address it, I think that idea is really helpful to me. So, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we can apply it in a, a training session. But what about for the people in our community themselves? Like, how could we use the whole idea of, you know, reframing the story you're telling themselves to, um, you know, help our career trajectory trajectories? Yeah. So one of the things, again, kind of thinking about is if you're thinking about where you are in your career, um, where you're wanting to be, oftentimes frustration exists because there's a gap between where we are 
and where we want to be or where we are telling ourselves we should be, right? And those should statements can be really tricky, right? Those are what I call the wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Because it, it sounds pretty innocuous. Um, one of the things that I do with my clients, which they kind of hate me for, is um, even just for a day, most of them don't make it for the entire day, but for a day, count up how many times you tell yourself, I should do something, I shouldn't do something, I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to. Right. And most people make it an hour, a couple of hours before they're wanting to. Right. And it's because, you know, without even knowing, we're setting up these expectations for ourselves with these should statements. Right. And so one of the things we want to look at is where are those expectations coming from? Are there are they our expectations or are they someone else's? Um, if they're not ours, whose are they? Right. They could be our families. Um, it could be, especially when we're thinking about um, women, people of color, people with marginalized backgrounds, those expectations may be um, greater placed on them. Um, it could be societal pressures or expectations. So number one, recognizing where are these expectations coming from? Are they reasonable or realistic? Um, lots of times they are not. Right. And then figuring out, well, if these are number one, not my expectations, um, do I have to meet them? If these are not reasonable um, expectations, do I have to meet them? Right. And so we can kind of then be thinking about, well, in terms of reframing those shoulds, can I reframe it as a wish? Can I reframe it as a goal? Right. Because those sound easier, like just as a human for us to deal with. Like, you know, I wish I would have done that rather than I should have done that. Right. That just feels different. To tell myself, you know what, I wish I had gone for that run this morning, right? I probably would feel better, you know, I'd, I'd gotten myself moving a little bit um, versus, well, I should have gone running. Now I'm in trouble with myself that I didn't. Right. So kind of being able to look at where um, those should statements are, where those expectations are coming from. Um, and that is a big part of the story that we tell ourselves, particularly around career, right? In terms of, where we think we should, where our managers think we should, where our families think we should be, where our society tells us that we should be as a person of this age or a person of this much experience, this is what you should be doing, right? And so really being able to take a step back from that and saying, well, is that my expectation of myself? Is that my desire for myself, right? Because sometimes that should is like, that's not even what I want. So is it... Is it fruitful for me to keep engaging in things that I don't really want or don't really serve? But just to um, talk on this point a little bit more, mm -hmm. you, you know, you talked about like women and, and marginalized, marginalized communities. I think that it would be really hard to convert that I should to I would. So I know you've just kind of explained the process, but do you have any additional recommendations? for people who are having trouble converting those, you know, I shoulds to I wish. Yeah. So one of the things that can be helpful is even just recognizing that it's a should statement, right? Again, thinking about that awareness, because sometimes it's like, you know what? This isn't my expectation, right? This isn't really what I want for myself, but I don't feel like I have choice in this matter, right? And sometimes even just recognizing, you know what? This is not the choice that I would make for myself, but this is what I need to do. So it doesn't feel great, 
but having that awareness on that allows us to move through it a little bit differently. Right. And so when I think about, I even think about it um, with, I work a lot with college students, right? So my parents want me to major in this, or my parents have this expectation that I will go into this career field, right? And it's like, well, okay. So now we recognize that that is not something that of your own volition you would choose. But we can now look at, all right, these are these expectations. What happens if I don't meet these, these expectations? And we can kind of go down that path. What am I kind of gaining or giving up if I do? If I do kind of follow along with those expectations. Um, but kind of recognizing, I I do still have a choice. My choice is that I'm going to meet that even though that's not really what I want for myself. So it sounds like really just leveling things out and taking away like the beating up on yourself kind of story, right? And just kind of reframing it to have grace with yourself and giving yourself more control of your narrative and giving yourself the options in your story, like a choose your own adventure type. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's so true because again, you're recognizing I would not choose this for myself, but I am making this choice to keep the peace in my family. I am making this choice because if I don't, I'm going to get a bad evaluation from my manager, right? And I don't want to accept those consequences. So I'm going to make this choice and then recognizing that I'm repeatedly making a choice that I don't want to make maybe changes things in the future for you. You can't do that right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people have heard that the expression, I should it on myself. So yeah. yeah, that's like a big one. So definitely like to just remind yourself, I'm shutting on myself again, stop that. And then that'll just kind of click and keep your thoughts going in a different direction. Yeah, because that's that awareness. And then the interruption, oh, I'm shooting on myself. Oh, I'm mind reading. Oh, I'm negatively predicting the future. All right, I'm interrupting that. What can I do to think differently about the situation? Or even if it's like, you know what? The situation is what it is. Okay, I recognize the situation is what it is. And now I don't keep banging my head up against the wall trying to make it different than what it is. Okay, so thank you so much. We have one last question as we just wrap things up. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about the work that you do, Karen? Yeah, so I am on um, Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Momentum Site Performance. Um, I have a website of the same name, MomentumSitePerformance.com. Um, my book, Becoming a Better Storyteller, Refining um, Your Narrative to Improve Life, is available on Amazon um, and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, as well as on my website. So those are the places where people can find me. Actually, before we leave, do you have a resource or a tip or hack that you can share with our community? Yeah, so I would just say again, kind of the the main thing is kind of being aware um, of your storytelling, right? So recognizing that this is is a way that we live our our lives as humans. Um, We are all telling ourselves some kind of story. Um, so if you can kind of be aware and even ask yourself, what's the story I'm telling myself about this situation, right? Like this can even be, I'm having an argument with my partner or with my parent. Um, you know, what is the story I'm telling myself about why this is happening? 
Right. And that is a way that we can then um, start to maybe pull back from that and recognize our role in that situation. Or maybe it's like, I don't have a role in this. This is this other person's stuff completely. And therefore, I can take a step back from it. I don't have to involve myself in this when it really isn't about me. Thank you so much. So I think that the main takeaway for me today is what is the story am I telling myself? What would you, what would you say, Samantha? I'm going to stop shooting on myself and become aware of when I am and just reframe that for myself, just having grace. And, and definitely the air framework is really helpful too. I'm going to write that down for myself and try to apply it in my in my day to day. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate the conversation. All right. So now for those of you who have stayed uh, stay tuned. It's time for our trivia question. So as a reminder, the question was, what is the most common type of story used in training and development? Well, according to Bard, Google's AI, the most common type of story is the hero's journey. So basically, when you have a hero who goes on a journey, faces some challenges, and then ultimately returns home transformed. And so this is typically used to teach people about different concepts, such as overcoming obstacles, teamwork, and perseverance. All right, so that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to ATD New York City Unlocked. Until next time. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast. We hope you found this episode engaging and informative and that you've gained new perspectives on the talent and development industry. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others in your network. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, keep striving to unlock your potential in the field of talent and development.